Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. This is Chris, and wow, we're indoors. Well, I've been out, i got to confess it, down the beach and along the way, and I'm going down for an ocean swim soon, and it's just a spectacular Friday morning, a little bit of wind, a bit of sun. Uh, the trees are happy. We've got white cockatoos in our tree out the front at the moment. They're having a ball. You might hear them in the background. So today... Uh, we are talking about the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions you ask. Hmm. So if you've been ever uh, been walking down the street and you've seen people throw out their furniture, 99% of the stuff that gets thrown out is what's called veneer furniture, veneer. Veneer is like a little tiny, for those of you who don't know, a little tiny thin paper, thin layer of something that looks and smells and tastes and feels like wood, but it ain't. Uh, or it is wood, but it's so thin wood that it doesn't cost the company who made it a lot of money, uh, but it makes the thing that you own, the table, the bedhead, or the kitchen, or whatever it looks like, it's made of expensive wood. But after a little while, especially if you live in Bondi with the humidity and the salt and everything, the veneer separates itself from the chipboard or whatever's been uh, as economically as possible hidden beneath. Now, uh, veneer is sometimes only cheap because it comes from Asia where they can chop uh, new growth for old growth forest and mix it with new growth forest and make very, very expensive to the to nature um, look-alike wood chip and, and what have you. Or as we tried to do over in uh, Indonesia, and I spent five years of my life working with people trying to make the waste from wood chip uh, into product and use it in, 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 uh, in our case, we were trying to use rice straw which is burnt and causes massive pollution throughout asia uh, including right now in bangkok some of the worst um, environmental uh, conditions they've had um, and it's mostly caused by uh, the fact that they burn off the the rice at a time where it's least likely to burn the house down which is just before the monsoon starts when the monsoon brings cold uh, air fronts very high in the sky that box in the smoke. So we were trying, and I spent five years working with uh, globally to use recycled timber and recycled product to make paper, especially in Indonesia. We had some success. Of course, the world market for paper needs a photocopier and and they want it, um, they want a, a smooth layer on the top. He can hear the cockatoos. So, um, that, that met with some resistance, but to a degree, some of the factories we work with have achieved great success using rice straw as the fodder for paper. But getting back to veneer, the quality of the questions you ask determines the quality of life you have. So there are, there's the mass consciousness. We talk about this quite a lot. And this month, we're talking about the value of the human heart as against the Charlie and the chocolate factory thing called the mind that gets a piece of poo in the chocolate and we can't find where the poo went. So the veneer is the poo. And the veneer is where most people think. 
So most people, and it's a really important realization to, to carry with you throughout your life, most people think that they think, but they don't think. What they do is, uh, firstly, by habit, take shortcuts between what's going on and what they feel. They create what's called myelinated pathways in their mind. And those myelinated pathways, if they see a, a, an ambulance, they straight away think of rescue so, or danger. If they see a shark, they straight away think of life and death. If they see um, um, hear a fast car, they straight away think of bad person. So we create um, automatic thoughts or automatic feelings, or automatic emotions, automatic opinions between events which have no uh, bearing on anything, like a loud car accelerating up the hill has no bearing on the quality of the individual driving it, but we make a link. And those opinions, those assumptions, become our daily habits because we start to link eating probiotics to having a happy day. We start to link having a slice of bread with Vegemite on it to feeling good about breakfast or having a quick brekkie. And we, we, we develop habits, and when somebody tries to address those habits, we call it breaking through a frustra. So our frustra, the frustrations of our life, are built on our identity. If you take a kid, for example, this is a very good example. If you take a child, for example, and you give them an iPad, you project not only onto the kid the, the fact that you've given them an iPad, but you can project what's on it onto them as well. So screen time is a very, very poor measure of the negative effects of an iPad or a TV. It's what's on the TV that makes the big difference. Let me give you an example. Here's an app. Uh, it's called Learn to Read. When the kid learns to, to read cat, cat, C-A-T, cat, cat, C-A-T. If you watch that TV show that used to be, I, my kids were addicted to it. The whole TV show was about one word, cat. But if you buy most apps that are based on education, they go cat. C-A-T, cat, cat, C-A-T. Now, cat Stantinople. They immediately up the learning because once you learn something and your identity gets uh, attached to being capable, they want to teach you that you're not capable by raising the bar. And these apps that we feed on the iPads and things to our kids are putting them in continual frustra. There is no cycling. And now remember, nature grows in cycles. There's a, a growth period through a frustra, and then there's a flattening off, which is no growth. It's just repeat. Now, we can become a little nervous when we come into the no growth period. We can say, I'm bored. I'm really bored. I'm not growing. Oh, nothing's challenging me. And we can start injecting uh, chaos, injecting disruption into our day, like sitting at the office going, I'm doing today the, la the same shit that I did yesterday. I better inject some chaos. What about the phone? What about my emails? What about a cup of coffee? What about uh, stand up? What about my talk to somebody? And we inject disruption into our day because we're afraid of boredom. And yet boredom is what nature would prescribe as being the essential uh, solid solidification of our identity just before we hit the shit fan, which is called frustra, and go through it 
and becoming competent for a period of time before we become competent again. So the strength to get through a frustra is by the tolerance of boredom and the building of resilience so that we can handle the rough stuff. But if you put like a kid's app on the iPad that teaches them to grow, 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 next, next, next level, next level, like all the kids' games or the games that you can play on a computer. You get through one level, next level, or get through one, next level, one level, next level. What we're doing, they're continually attacking the concept of an identity. Now, a person who lacks an identity is called a monk. And those monks have spent hundreds of thousands of hours studying how to live without an identity, to morph from one place to the next, to not make a stand, to not listen to opinions, to not be opinionated. And those monks are capable of moving through very quickly the process of going from opinionated to not opinionated, opinionated, not opinionated. They can move through in seconds. The app is doing the same thing, pretty much. It's saying, ah, you achieved that? Okay, quick, level two, where you become incompetent again. Competent, incompetent. And it drives to the concept of insecurity because the person becomes very insecure because they don't get a chance to solidify or sit down on or take get bored with or relax into an identity, a level of knowledge, a level of capability. Uh, it would be like going from C-grade tennis to B-grade tennis to A-grade tennis to the world competition all in one short year. The speed of acceleration would lead to incredible insecurity in the, in the open event. Lot of my partner is another example, world champion swimmer, takes five years off, meets me. We say, let's uh, do some triathlon. She decides I want to go in the Olympics. And suddenly someone with no experience is competing on the world stage with everybody who's had at least most of the people she competes against have had at least 15 years. And not just 15 years, 15 years of weekly experience as a junior because there's races every week in triathlon. So when Lotta gets to a race, she's frightfully insecure, not because she's an insecure person or not because she, she's, it's just she's burst through frustra one after the other to the other to the other and never really had a chance to sit back and consolidate. So we need to be able to say that the pro process of life is to burst through a frustra, go through a bit of a challenge at home or at work or whatever, sit down and be bored, be bored for a period, relax, chill out. Just do the same shit day after day. If you're a runner uh, and you run a, a speed in uh, uh, over 5K and, you get, and you're really happy with your 20, 20 minutes over 5K, run that speed for at least a month or two before you say time to get faster. But if you get faster and faster and faster and faster, your body is not developing the resilience and the strength to move to the next place. So nature grows in cycles, so do we. So the quality of your life is totally determined by the quality of the questions you ask. There are questions we ask like, how do I get less stressed? How do I get less confronted? How do I get less challenged? How do I get... And that means we've hit a frustra and instead of going through it because we've had a period of boredom that has enabled us to build uh, some uh, momentum and some storage, some strength in the running or in the triathlon, some confidence, instead of having the confidence and the strength to move through it and learn and let go our identity and create a new one, we hit the fruster and go, shit, I would like to live in the past, please. The first thing we say is, I want to work four days instead of five days a week. Oh, no, actually, I want to work three days a week instead of five days a week. 
we try to back away from the frustra, from the edge, and we try to go back, live in the past. Now, by backing away, we do do one thing. We go back into boredom. But the thing is, that boredom, if we're not comfortable with it on the way up, when we go back to it, we're not comfortable with it on the way forward. So a person who's not comfortable being bored is always asking the wrong question. How do I get excited? How do I get excited? But what they're not realizing is how do I, the better question is, how do I get comfortable doing the same thing day after day for a month or two or a year or two uh, and, and, and get accomplished in the identity I've created in the frustra I'm in before the next frustra or promotion comes. So I'm good at what I do. So I can be willing to be incompetent what I'm about to do and move through that to a level of competency and then take a rest. Nature grows in cycles. So the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions you ask. I'm looking out now, there's a cockatoo in a tree. I can ask this question. Why is that cockatoo on that particular tree? It's a beautiful white cockatoo. And someone might answer me, because cockatoo like those nuts. And I can ask the next question. What is in the nut that the cockatoo likes? Well, the same person can't ask, answer the second question because the second question requires different knowledge. So I'd have to go to a different person. What's in a nut that makes a cockatoo attracted to it? And they'll say, oh, there's an enzyme in that nut. And these are olive, uh, olives, actually. This is an olive tree out the front of my house. So what is in the olive that the cockatoo loves? And they say it's the nut inside. And I say, what's in the nut that the cockatoo likes? And they say you have to go to a nut specialist or a nutter to, <laughs> to, to answer that question. I go, so I go to an, a nutritional, a nutter, and they say inside the nut there is a kernel, and inside the kernel there is some uh, uh, protein, and the birds love that protein. I could stop asking the question, or I could say, why does a bird need the protein that comes from a nut more than it does from a worm or, or from some other source of protein? And then I have to go to another person to ask that question. So the quality of our life is determined by the quality of the question we ask. And we can, those questions are never solved. They're always, uh, every question opens up to more questions. And while we're asking questions, we're in a really healthy space. But parents, I remember uh, listening to uh, Rajnishi, the Bhagwan, uh, do, uh, he, he was famous for his uh, audio uh, work that you can listen to him talk and, and, and share knowledge. And he said one of the biggest problems is at a dinner table when kids ask why, 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 which is really healthy because that's the quality questions. Parents never say, I don't know. And he said that's the quality answer that the kids are looking for because parents try to be everything to everyone for their kids. And really there are questions the kids ask that should lead to the questions to another source. And and be encouraged to go to that other source, like the encyclopedia or Google it or whatever it is, because the parents say, I don't know. But a lot of us are unwilling to say, I don't know. And we try to answer the question with an opinion we disguise as fact. So we're coming back here with this, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of questions you ask. Your partner comes to you and goes, I'm not happy anymore. And you go, why? Is that a quality question? Or would the quality question be, what would make you happy? Now, we can load a question 
uh, and make it rhetorical. For example, your partner comes to you and says, I'm not happy. And you can say, we have everything a person could need. What could make you unhappy? What could make you happier? So it's sort of a rhetorical question because we sort of answered it with our opinion and then loaded the question on the back end of our opinion. So we made the question dirty. So a dirty question is, is a question that's loaded with the answer or loaded uh, with an opinion before the question's delivered. You could say, uh, white cockatoos are destroying my tree. Why do they have to uh, eat olives? I'm really not asking the question anymore, am I, that uh, why do they eat olives? I'm asking why do these cock how do we get rid of the cockatoos from our tree? So the quality of your questions determines the quality of your life. And the, the most important thing here is to not listen to the answer, but listen to the question the answer generates in you. Now, this is working from head to heart. In your heart, there are unanswerable questions and you live peacefully with those unanswerable questions. So in, when you say, when someone says the cockatoo ate the olive because it likes the kernel, if you go, oh, thanks, that's enough, you stay in your head. But then if you follow the paper trail and the question then becomes, why nuts? What, why why that, what's in the kernel that they like, that's good for them? You start to go down below what I called earlier in this conversation, the veneer that's the thin layer of pretend wood on the surface. And you start to explore what's called a conscious conversation. Some people call the art of asking good questions the art of actually listening. And I think that's absolutely the truth. The quality of your listening is determined by the quality of the questions you ask. Are you asking rhetorical questions? Are you asking a question loaded with an opinion? Or are you asking a really serious question that takes you a layer deeper below the veneer of life, the below the mass consciousness, and explores what's really going on, which means grows you through a frustra. So a person who says, I'm really stressed, I'm dropping, dropping back to three days a week, is, is basically saying, the way for me to handle stress is to drop away from the cause of stress. So... They're asking a question, how can I get away from this cause of stress? And that's a withdrawal. And nature uh, destroys anything that withdraws from its stress. If we don't go through our frustra, we start to develop what's called slow suicide. We start to develop self-destructive habits. Now, we can, we can understand people do this because the feeling of stress is awful and sometimes we blame the source. But a wiser question might be, what is it about this situation that causes me stress? Not how can I go to work less stressed and how can I come home less stressed? The question is, what is in this situation that's causing me stress? And be honest about it. It's the pushback and it's the rejection from people. And the next quality question might be, how do I enable myself to handle more rejection? And the next question from that, which might be might mean you need to be able to understand uh, your mind better. 
what is it what part of my mind will help me move through stress better and instead of going running away from the from the situation in order to stay not stressed in other words stay in the uh in in the boring mode or stay in the comfort zone we need to be asking questions that take us through things take us through to the other side and that's called evolution and that's called uh, dealing with frustra and it's a very 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 important part of a business life and it's a very important thing to remember with your kids not to try to take them through their education process so quickly that they never get a chance to consolidate and feel uh, validated by being bored with the same knowledge going over the same thing and just going, I already know that, mum, or I already know that, dad. And you go, yeah, I know you do, but I thought we'd play with the word cat for a while because you already know that word rather than introduce ca uh, catastrophe or whatever. So going back to the whole idea of uh, iPads and, and screen time and all these things, it's not necessarily screen time that's a problem. We know that the iPad is not, and the things like it, are not necessarily damaging to the eyes or the heart or the ears. But if 50% of the time what was on the iPad was uh, a red robin or a beautiful picture of worms in a, in a cage or in, in a, under the earth or a beautiful picture of bears fucking in the forest or whatever it is, the kids would get a chance to uh, not be necessarily learning but just uh, sitting with nature and exploring and relaxing and understanding that it's not always about excitement and breaking through frustra and being incompetent and therefore being insecure and therefore always being uh, ungrateful for the experience of being where they're being. This is Chris. I hope this has been an interesting conversation. Bye for now.